Welcome to Troubleshooting Agile, a regular problem-solving session for Agile teams. Hello there, and welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. So, Jeffrey, we're continuing through our uh, tour of the Agile principles behind the Agile Manifesto. We're up to principle six. That's the most efficient and effective method of conveying information to and within a development team is face-to-face conversation. Yeah, ho- hopefully this isn't uh, controversial, <laughs> but but we, we know well, it will yeah, be. Well, you hope not, but uh, as we were talking about it, yeah, I suspect it will be with some folks. As we were talking about it, we came up with some examples where, uh, at least historically, we've seen people really take the opposite view. And it's hard to cast your mind back to the days when people thought uh, documentation-driven development was the best way to go. Well, I think that's right. And I, I, luckily, I think a lot of people today have never experienced this. But for uh, for for proper graybeards like myself, the remember the the nineties uh, with the uh, unified process and all the other various development methodologies that seemed to have a strong emphasis on documentation, where there would be literally shelf feet uh, of, of documentation with a project, uh, and very often this was something that. Uh, people would have to create all this documentation before they actually got around to writing the code, something which uh, seems uh, very weird today. That, so we would have requirements documents, we'd have architecture documents, we'd have design documents, and this this process might take months in extreme cases. Even my own experience at a at a startup, uh, I remember in I think it was probably 1997 that I joined, and it was the last it ended up being the last six or or or, or so months of their 1.0 release. And this had been years in the making, and they, they, they finally were getting to the point of shipping the software. And anyone who's been on a long development cycle knows that, that at that point of, of shipping, there's release and, and, and satisfaction, but at the same time, you, you really just hate your product by that point because you know everything that's wrong with it. You know all the decisions you wish you could have made differently. And it, it just, it, it, in a sense, it, it feels good to be done uh, but it also is a time that you are probably least in love w- with your with your work, um, at least in the traditional development methods that that often end up being my experience. Sure. In this in this particular case, we we, we finished the 1.0, and a couple of days of recovery after this extended death march, um, I began to look around and wondering, well, when are we going to start uh, working on 2.0? But we were told, oh, don't don't worry about it. You know, there's nothing to do right now because we're waiting for the MRD, the marketing requirements document. And this was going to be the, the 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 thing from the marketing department that was going to tell us and lay out the course for our 2.0 release. So there was no no point in, in doing anything now. We, we'll just wait. So that went on for a couple of days. And those couple of days turned into a couple of weeks. And uh, it really, it eventually ended up being six weeks. And it was it was just such a strange feeling to me to move from this high pressure where we're we're cutting bugs left and right and we're scraping for 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 days and hours. Can we get this thing done? How, you know, how long will it take? And then suddenly we go and waste. It felt like to me six weeks of of idleness. Um, and I, I bet you were playing Minesweeper. <laughs> well, I probably would have been if it hadn't been that we were the early days of the internet. Um, and actually, it was such the early days of the internet that you could get caught up uh, with just a, a, if you if you had all day every day with no work to do because you're waiting for the MRD, then just read all of the internet. 
at some point though, even that got to be boring and we didn't, all the developers started talking to one another and saying, well, this is a bit silly. And we self-organized around starting and asked for permission. Is it okay for us to start thinking about how we might solve some of the problems we know about? Clearly, we're still waiting for the MRD. We were allowed to, to move ahead. Meanwhile, we wait for the MRD. Six weeks later, we get this, you know, maybe inch, inch and a half thick document placed on all of our desks. Um, and uh, with it, with the idea of saying, yes, and can we get this in, in nine months? And this was at least two years worth of work. And so the answer was no, and that led to a lot of strife and uh, <clears throat> between the, the engineering leads uh, who were saying this is impossible, we can't do this in nine months, and the marketing people saying, but that's the requirement. <laughs> and uh, the, the long story short is that the uh, development leads were fired. We never wrote a single line of code to, uh, to, to against the marketing requirements document, and that, that self-organized thing we did actually shipped as a 2.0. But uh, there you go. <laughs> it's, that, it's that kind of documentation driven exercise with with weeks and weeks of idleness that uh, this principle is really aiming at which is so it's not saying you should never have documentation it's saying that, that you, you shouldn't rely on documentation to to, to to carry all the water on the project six weeks of reading the internet is not the most efficient way to run your development team is <laughs> what, what this is arguing and, and interestingly you and I both live in the startup world and I, I see this rarely at this level in the startup world there's simply not enough time to to take that well this was a startup of effort this was, this was, I know this, back then it was so crazy but, but the, these days I don't but I do know that there are folks who are in larger organizations where this is still the norm where this is still the world that they live in. And so some of our listeners may be in those worlds, uh, and we, we might try to give you some suggestions for, for how to, to move out of that world. For example, I have one client, uh, they are a startup. Luckily, there's only one person who has this view, but he comes from an academic, large organization background. And the argument he made to me was, I, as the product manager, should, and he was referring to some ethereal notion of how scrum should work or something, some some idea he had in his head, I should only talk to the scrum master and only every two weeks. I should not interact with the developers. And uh, so he was expressly making the opposite argument to this principle. And that idea is very seductive. The idea that you can write everything down, you can be comprehensive and correct, you can write it completely unambiguously, somehow mathematically correct, as if it were a series of equations. Um, people will then read it unambiguously, they'll understand what I meant, and then they'll go execute it, and they won't need any feedback. And if, if all well, of those things great. were true... It would be great, exactly, and that's the kind of principle he had. Let's just let's just why don't we try that? Exactly. <laughs> uh, the the challenge is that even in realms like mathematics, which I know very well, uh, that's actually not what people do. So, uh, and and this is probably in everyone's experience when you were going to learn, say, long division. What did not happen was a teacher handing you a inch thick book that said, "Here's everything you need to know about long division. Read this book, and then I'll give you an exam on long division." The challenge is that you don't grasp mathematics that way, even though you could write and probably would take a page, not an inch thick book, to write down everything about long division. That doesn't mean anyone will understand it at all or be able to <laughs> execute it or be able to perform long division accurately. So it doesn't even work in the mathematical world 
which sometimes people think uh, they're they're striving toward by getting to this uh, kind of seductive documentation approach. Well, but, but in the mathematical world, let me test this for a second because they, they clearly they have textbooks, and not only that, they have research papers. So indeed, they're very valuable and useful. They're very important. So so people do go write things down, and that is a a, a, a major portion of the communication. Exactly, you need that reflective time to to get the ideas straight and to record them in a sensible way. But then you should not expect that anyone will understand them. There's a famous example recently, actually, where someone has proven an abstruse number theory result called the ABC conjecture. And literally no one outside of Japan understands this. And <laughs> so there's great debate in the mathematical community about whether he's actually proven it because he's proven it. He's got a 300 page book that describes exactly how it works. And nobody can follow more than about page three, except for his personal students who, who have spent years with him. One one of the, the things when we were talking about this ahead of time is you, you pointed out that if you look at the principle, it uses the word conveying information, mm -hmm. and you yes, said this. And that's the key, and this is the this is the key point here. It's it's not that uh, the books aren't efficient, but that for really conveying information, uh, if you want to be efficient and effective, then having that face to face element is important. So you you and and you might have these things together. You have the rigorously closely reasoned paper, and you then have the uh, symposium where you, you talk through what you've done. And uh, one of the, the points this reminded me of was um, Alistair Coburn in his book, uh, Agile Software Development. He has a section, a chapter three, where he talks about communicating cooperative teams. And in there, he has this great graph uh, where he describes uh, the communication channels along a curve. And actually, he's got two curves. One curve in a place where you're not allowed to ask questions. So something that's like uh, something that's written or uh, a recording of some sort. Uh, and you compare that to where you do have question and answer and maybe something very slow like email towards something that's uh, real time, like the sort of audio chat we're doing now. And then eventually you get to the richest, warmest channel, which is face-to-face uh, -face at a whiteboard, um, which, which I love. So that in that idea, in, in that graph, he gets across this idea of this um, idea of how um, how much uh, a richness of a channel makes it that much more effective for communicating indeed and i'm uh, as we were talking about this we we were reflecting on how this is similar to the design notion of affordances you have sort of things that tell you that you can do stuff. So if I walk up to a tin can and I want to open it, then it probably has a little pull ring which suggests that I should put my finger there and pull on it and that will open it. Or it doesn't and that suggests I should get a tin, a tin opener. And in a, a rich environment where you're both standing at a whiteboard, stay with, say with post-it notes, is a place where someone can lean over to the whiteboard and get very excited about it or uh, can look out the window and look reflective or bored. Or uh, even in some cases, I've seen people grab a card and say, well, we don't need this, and they throw it on the floor. <laughs> and all of those are very rich ways of communicating, which degrade. You might be able to hear me crinkling up a uh, note and throwing it on the floor, but you wouldn't know what I was doing here on this audio call that we're having. And if it were written down, then I might be able to say, we don't need this card. That, but I don't have, it doesn't have the richness of throwing it on the floor. Right. And this, and this idea of the, of, of the, um, the richness and the the warmth, the the affordances, all these different modalities of communication uh, are really why face-to-face uh, -face ends up being the most effective because you can look around, you can read each other to some extent, you can see people's postures, you can look at sort of micro gestures that don't come across even on video chat. Um, and as well as then 
uh, the, if you come back to this idea of the two people on a whiteboard, if you give them shared tools, um, you're able to, uh, uh, say, have post-it notes or, or cards on a table, uh, these things that you can interact with physically and arrange together, this, that sort of um, interaction is very natural and, and very rich. And, and you, you uh, can develop by manipulating things together, a shared understanding very, very quickly in a way that's very difficult to get across, um, even with the, the best current um, communication tools they have for online. I, I haven't seen something that has the, 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 the same impact of I've seen on some Kanban boards where people have, um, you know, uh, maybe sticky taped a, a one post-it note on top of the other, say like th these things go together and that's an exception, but you know, these sort of, you, I'm sure you can design these things specially, but people invent them all the time. And that ability to invent a shared way of communication is something that you just don't get, um, uh, when you're when you're not face to face, indeed. Our old friend Mr. Coburn again uh, reminded us as we were looking up uh, some of his writing that the original notion of a story card started that way. So when you were writing down a post-it note or something like that that said this is what we're going to do next, it started as this sort of item to be conversed about. But then they got kind of in those very early projects, they got lost a bit. And so people would say, well, I really want to attach the inch thick requirements document to it. <laughs> so his notion will link to this, his origin story for this is now a very common phrase that people hear is a story card is a promise to have a conversation. Right, as, a, as opposed to a strict replacement for the documentation. People who said like, exactly. oh, I just, I, I don't have all the details down. I don't have all the, all, all, everything that I got from the requirements document. I'm not getting from this card. It's, it won't fit on the post-it note. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's not supposed to write really small. <laughs> that's right. It's not, it's not supposed to be. What it is, is, is really that tokens you'll have the conversation later. Mm -hmm. And that, that I, I think that's, um, idea of story cards kind of probably grew out of something that was around uh, before that in the in the object modeling world, where I know uh, some of the early agile people came from, which is CRC cards. And for people who have, have never, what is it? Um, uh, responsibility. What does it stand for again? <laughs> the uh, uh, class responsibilities collaboration cards. There we so go. Is you, so they, you, each you one represents an object. right? That's right. You have an object and you write down that maybe the, the name of the class, uh, the responsibility of that class, and then who the collaborators are. And you, you'd actually write that on the, in theory, you'd write that on the cards and then you could start manipulating the cards together and you, you're, you're designing the system uh, on, a, on a table with these cards. Now, the funny thing for me is that you, as, as we started using them, uh, again, back in the nineties, we, we were, we originally were very diligent about how we formatted the cards and what we wrote down. And there was some value to that, but what ended up being more valuable was the conversations we would have using these cards as tokens. And in these sort of fast and loose brainstorming sessions, design sessions, we're revolving our, our, our shared understanding of what the architecture was going to be. Uh, we would write less and less on the cards until we'd have sometimes have conversations where all the cards were blank. <laughs> we have them arranged all over the literally table. Literally no words on the cards at all. Literally we just agreed that the green one was something or the one on the left was something else. Exactly. These, so these are all, in my experience, these are all, you know, blank three by five cards all laid out. <laughs> <laughs> and, but we all remember that the one on the left, well, that's the database, and the one on the right, that's the that's the the UI layer, and all the ones in between were various parts of our model. But th these were all uh, these were all just sort of tokens and placeholders mentally for we were constructing them together and getting a shared understanding, and that's what we were building was shared understanding, not comprehensive documentation. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, of course, it's not to say that we we there wasn't something valuable 
uh, that would have had, if you sort of take a, a picture of that, of all those blank cards and share them with someone else, they're going to get really nothing out of it. So, that, um, But as, as a conversational tool in building understanding, uh, it, those blank cards were, were actually hugely valuable. And one thing that people shouldn't misunderstand, we're, we're not, and I don't think the principal is making an argument against having some form of reflection and thought and recording an agreed result of a shared conversation or setting up a shared conversation with some reflective thought, just like in mathematics, it's very helpful to go away in a corner where nobody can bother you and work out what's the really the best way to approach this particular complex problem. The, the difficulty is the failure is to believe that that's done everything, that that's got you everything that you need. That's right. I think you had an example of somebody who who thinks that way. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I, have, I have two things in mind. One is there's an engineer on our team who um, he, he really prefers to have some amount of time offline to organize his thoughts. And uh, by contrast, some people are very happy just talking things through and, and, and working out in real time. And and he, for him, he, he prefers explicitly to have a bit of time to go away and think about it and then come back and we can have a more constructive conversation later. So we have it in, in pieces. So that, that sort of uh, the time that you do have some time away is valuable. But even if we said the point about documentation and how it relates to conveying information, I, I love the story of Amazon and you may have heard of this um, I've not experienced it, but they said that all the meetings there start with uh, a written uh, document that's handed out and that people read in the room. So mm -hmm. you, if you're going to have a meeting with Jeff Bezos, you might start with 20 minutes of silent reading so that everyone has the share, shared understanding before the conversation begins. And I think it's interesting to hear that, that they have, they want to make sure they have shared facts that they all converse about, but they don't uh, on the, the illusion that having things written down will be sufficient to convey everything. Because what they don't have is a meeting in which everyone reads the document and then leaves. And then, that's right. They have a meeting in which everyone <laughs> reads the document and then talks about that's, it. That's right. That's exactly right. So it's it's those two things working together. So this this principle isn't saying that we, we shouldn't have uh, documentation and we shouldn't have time and space to think about and, and, and document our thoughts and conclusions. And in fact, we should do that. That would be a useful thing to do. There's something else it doesn't say also, which is it doesn't say that you shouldn't have distributed teams. So it does say face-to-face, -face, but it doesn't say uh, there's no notion of a distributed team that could ever work. Um, uh, I know I have two clients at the moment, both of whom have various levels of distri distribution, and there are certainly organizations like Mozilla and Stack Overflow that are remote first. And those companies can work, but if you look up why they've made those choices, what you typically find, and certainly in the example of my client who does the same, they have not chosen that because it's the most efficient, most effective way of conveying information. They have chosen it because it gives more flexibility, they can get access to better talent, it lowers costs, there are lots of advantages, then they're uh, then mitigating the cost in pure communication by doing things like uh, having a, a regular meeting. My client has everybody get together physically, no matter how far away they are, uh, at least once a month. And they pair every single day while writing code using video and uh, sophisticated tools to make sure that they can interact well and communicate well, even though they are not in the same location. That's right. So we're using so the same sense. we're using the same theory here, uh, uh, really, which is about this richness of communication channels, and we're 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 making the observation that uh, historically, where people relied a lot on written documentation, that's on the far left. That's the coolest, least interactive, um, uh, sort of least rich 
uh, type of interaction you can have. And then on the on the on the far right on the on the graph that Alistair put together, it's the the two people with shared physical space and shared physical tools is is the richest and warmest. This this theory uh, and, and observation is can still guide what you do remotely because you can say, well, it'll tell us that having interactive chat is better than email. Right, so we'll, if if we could be communicating by email, but we can use Slack. Well, Slack is better for some things because it, it'll be faster. It'll take this less time to respond, and better still is is voice, and better still is if we get video and voice. Mm-hmm. And I know at 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 Tim, the uh, executive team, uh, we will we have a distributed executive team, and we'll very often have meetings where we're all on go to meeting, and we we make a habit of. Uh, having our video cameras turned on for those. And we find that having the video is actually very helpful uh, for us in, in those meetings, in part because of the relationship aspect. Mm-hmm. Again, you're getting more affordances, more opportunities to understand and have high bandwidth communication. So if we want to summarize what this principle is all about, it's about changing that historical picture that you alluded to before. And I'm I'm remembering back when I had my first programming job and we would say, well, we're, we're 20% done because we finished the requirements phase. <laughs> that, and that's right. Principle is exactly the opposite. <laughs> that's right. And that's, and that's, I think that's a really key point here is that if, if we look at this and then maybe we look ahead to our next principle, um, what we, these two things are going to pair together that we're, that in the context of the Edge of Manifesto, people were looking to change uh, how people thought and change the way projects were managed. And it's saying, you know, don't, don't consider your uh, documents uh, don't confuse that with with progress and that because the, the next time we talk will be about uh, the next principle which is working software over comprehensive uh, sorry was is about we measure progress by using working software the link here is in manifesto they tell you we value working software over comprehensive documentation there's some value in documentation but there's more in working software and so this this uh, these two principles I, I think go together to say, we're going to change our, our emphasis from uh, documents to conversations. At the same time, we're also going to, going to change our emphasis to getting working software sooner over comprehensive documentation. So there's a kind of a subtle link between these two. Don't measure by linear feet of documents, uh, books <laughs> on the shelf. That's not the best way to measure your software productivity. Yeah. Makes sense to me. I'm sold. Yep. All right. Well, Excellent. I'm looking we'll forward to that up next time. Yep, sounds good. Talk to you then. Super. Talk to you then.